Hello and welcome back to the Inquisitor podcast with me, Marcus Kauke. Today, my guest is Keith Webster, who is a director at Strengths Hub. Keith, I know you're an ex-international athlete twice over and you've worked in pharma for many years. Would you mind giving the audience a, a quick run through your background and how you got to where you are? Sure. Hi, Marcus. Uh, thanks for... Uh... For uh, allowing me to join your your cast today, yeah, I'm really excited about uh, the next sixty minutes or so. But yeah, I, I guess my journey. I started off my background was in the military. I was in the air force and uh, did some NATO roles back in the eighties and nineties, and um, always had a lens on performance and a keen eye for sport. My wife sort of banters me, humours me that I spent my time in the military playing sport, mm-hmm. in the realm, which was possibly true in some cases, but. Yeah, I certainly um, I've always had a, a lens for performance and my, making me a better me and the people I work with better. Um, I kind of flew my way into the pharmaceutical industry, having left the uh, the military. Uh, some say, well, what's, what's the connection between aviation and, and medicine? Well, there isn't a lot, but I guess the one common thing is people and the science of people. So I was able to make a very successful transition. And as I progressed to a very successful career in the industry, I became more and more sort of um, interested and passionate about uh, team development, team leadership. And again, I got a sense that we were, we were actually, in, in, in most parts of the business, we were doing things wrong. You know, focusing on what people don't do very well, focusing on people's weaknesses. And I guess perhaps there's a generational thing about that. And it's, it's kind of de-energizing, demotivating. And my lens is always, oh, how can we be better uh, as an athlete, um, as a performer? So let, let's explore that. What, what are the four most common misconceptions that management have about developing their people? Oh, the four. I'm not sure that I can mention four, but I think the one common thing which has been prevalent for years um, is to focus on people's weaknesses. I think, you know, the lens, I suppose, if you look at, if you look at um, starts in our school, with the way our, our school systems are set up, not just in the UK, but perhaps the US and maybe globally. But they're quite remedial. You know, so little Johnny comes home with his school report and he's got A for maths, B for English, A for biology, and an F for chemistry. And most parents' lenses on, well, what's the F for chemistry for? And they kind of focus and maybe even, you know, harangue the child for, uh, for the F and say, you must do better than focus the energy, rather than actually thinking, you know what? We should be focusing on what the kid's good at. You know, the double A, B, where the guy's got some strengths, where the child's got some strengths, and that's what we should be doing. And I think it's the same in the, in the world, the corporate world of work. We've tended to focus on what people don't do very well. We create these engineered development plans which focus on what people haven't got. And then they're quite de-energizing. I think, frankly, people don't put much energy in. So I think that's the one key thing. So... If someone is underperforming, how does one put together a strengths-based development plan? From my insight, my experience, um, if somebody's underperforming, there's obviously a, we've got to seek to understand first, you know, what is driving that underperformance. Potentially, there was a time when that individual was performing. So what's changed? What's happening? So I think we've got to give due diligence to find out because there can be other life factors which are or leading to that underperformance. But the one big thing I've learned over the years is that underperformance is a sign of an employee of somebody who's just not engaged. 
in, in, the, in the business. And that could be a football. It could be a football who's, you know, and we see it in the press weekly, they're not performing under a certain manager. When they were signed by the club or recruited into the business, they were, they were really the A-star player. And of course, they, they start to appear on the performance. And people are saying, well, they've lost their touch. Well, the talent is still there. And it's a case that they're not engaged in their environment. And, and that predominantly is down to the organisation and invariably the manager. So I think if we're going to address that, we need to seek to understand, assume positively that people have talent and that we'll, they will want to perform at the level. But if we're going to look at a strengths base, I think we need to, um, we need to find out what the talents are. What are the talents? What does the individual love to do best? Where does the individual fit into the team, whether it's on the football field or in the, in the sales team? We employ them to, to do what they do best. So if you're a striker, then, you know, in, in a certain position, then that's where you should spend most of your time in that position, you know, perhaps with a free role to go to, to leverage your strengths and hang around the six yard box. Or equally, if you're in the sales team and you're best in what you love to do best, through your talents is engage with customers and, and have those conversations. And that's where you can spend your time. You know, not, not sat at home doing sort of um, sales sort of administrative spreadsheets. So I think it's really about getting the right fit for the right role and, uh, and optimizing people's talent towards what they love to do. Okay. So as a coach, if you understand what someone's strengths are, how do you get them to develop more in those areas so that they can achieve their fullest potential? Sure. So how do we, I mean, first of all, it's the, the, the insight of, of what their strengths are, but then it's the, the coachings around getting them to sort of be intense. So firstly, to reflect on situations where they, they have been successful. And if they can reflect on, well, what was, what was the key factors, if you think of your talent, which led to a success? And equally, then we look at it as a sort of a setback. So can we tell me about a time when you know, things didn't go so well? You know, you perhaps wanted an outcome from a situation, a sales call, a match, and you didn't get the outcome. You know, can you think what talents, what strengths were, were perhaps overplayed or underplayed? And if you were to go through that same scenario again, you know, what would you do differently? So we then start to, to, to the individual to start to become aware of what talents, what tools effectively they are using, and then to be intentional about that. So it's a bit of a, I guess in some ways it's, a, it's the individual trial and error. So, and we do that through hard, hard practice. So if a sales individual is going to a, um, a sales call, you know, what talents, what strengths does that individual need to, to secure the business or secure the outcome that they're looking for from that call. And so one thing we do with a lot of salespeople particularly is we find that they, they like to talk, they've got high communication, they have some talents which are really engaging uh, to win people over. Very often they, they find it hard to ask for business. And so in that instance where some talents are dialed up too high, we call it, we sort of coach them to dial them down but then we coach them to maybe dial other dominant talents up. So if somebody's got high responsibility and achiever, then we leverage, we get them to be aware of that and to say, well, actually, what are we responsible for? We're responsible as a salesperson to actually deliver for the organization because that's what's expected of you. 
And as a manager, that's what you can coach around to be intentional. So then they start to look at what that talent brings and that hopefully gives them some leverage to, um, to replay a situation and get the outcome that they want for themselves, you know, for their bonus, and, and of course, for the organisation. So in my experience, where people have a, a strong strength theme in terms of achiever, they uh, can often find themselves doing busy work mm. and deviate from the objective, which in sales, obviously, is to bring in revenue, grow accounts. And how does one manage that in such a way that you focus them on the overall outcome rather than the thing that they've fallen in love with? Yeah, it's a good question, Marcus. And you're right. I think the um, all these strengths, all these talents have, have vulnerabilities. And I think that's blind spots. I think that's, in my experience, that tends to be people's the strengths can become the weaknesses if either A, they're not aware of them, or B, they misapply them. And I think sometimes, particularly with the achiever talent, they can be busy for busy sake. And uh, and that's not always focused. So again, we look at, there's a number of things. Firstly, I guess, from from a management, from an organisation perspective, if you're working with an achiever, you know, are they absolutely crystal clear on expectations? Research would say that less than 50%, less than one in two people across the world are clear on what's expected of them. We see that with our clients as well. So firstly, an achiever will be busy and they'll be busy doing things. If they're not clear what's expected, then potentially could just be busy doing stuff. So I think it's really important from a managerial organisation perspective that we make sure they're crystal clear on what's expected of them, that they've got the materials and equipment, the tools to do the job, and that they are basically doing what they do best. And I think in terms of that, then that's a case of the individual really being intentional about aiming the achiever talent at the objectives, the critical impact opportunities, the expectations of the business. And you know, if they've got high focus with that, then you probably find they do that quite naturally, depending on how the other talents of the individual shape up. And they may need uh, they may need more coaching support, you know, from a manager, from a coach, or from a, from a team member to make sure that they absolutely are. And I think one way to do that, which again is a not so much a new technique for managers, but I think it's one that's, that's, that's really time is right, is, is a weekly check-in. You know, a weekly check-in conversation. I think um, so we live in such a world now; it is so busy, so volatile. I think. To be clear on expectations one week and expect that for the year is, 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 is delusional. I think the business year is one of 52 sprints. And I think the role of the manager and the, the achiever is to sort of uh, make sure that you know, we, we are focused on what's expected each and every week and each and every month. And that can, can be carried out by a checking conversation. You know, so there's absolute clarity in what's expected and we focus that achiever talent and what's expected that week, that month, that quarter. Okay. So what we're talking about is the work that was developed by Gallup over, I think it was 29 years worth worth of studying half a million of top performers globally across all continents. And it uh, has been, or it's manifested itself in the Clifton Finder profiling tool. 
And this is an area that Keith is uh, particularly expert in. If you're not familiar with it, it's certainly worth investigating. About nine, 10 years ago, I took the StrengthsFinder profile and identified where my strengths lay. And as a result, I restructured all of my work around that and then delegated or outsourced all the other stuff to other people whose strengths made my weaknesses irrelevant. And my average day is somewhere between 95 and 100% filled with the stuff that I do well. I look forward to doing it. When I do it, I get great feedback and time flies. And when it's over, I can't wait to do it again. And I've just recently taken a motivational map profile where my motivation scored 99%. So this stuff in my experience, anecdotal as it is, does work, but you have to be ready to let go of stuff that is non-core. And you also have to recognize that you can't do it all. And I, I suspect a lot of people will struggle to let go of areas where they are weak, partly because of conditioning, that it's a personality defect if you fail in role. And the reality is it's anything but. It's just role failure. It's not a personality failure. It's just failure in role. And there will be other people around us, or we can acquire people around us who are stronger in those areas, and we compensate for one another. So my question is this. If you are working on your own, how can you reasonably apply your outcomes from your strength profile to best effect if you don't have that additional support? So in terms of uh, yeah, an individual uh, yeah. business owner? Who... Uh, individual business owner, solopreneur, or individual contributor? Well, I think I mean, it's a really good question. I think the, um, the answer to that is, is, is find a coach. There's many, many, um, many senior professionals throughout the world. I think even, I'm trying to think now, who's, who's coined that phrase, everyone needs a coach. I know certainly... Um, Certainly Jim Clifton, Gallup's current chairman and chief exec, the son of Don. They've written some research. They've done some work on everyone needs a coach. And I think Bill Gates actually said it once. I think there's a YouTube video somewhere about everyone needs a coach. So I think whether you're a single business owner or you're an individual contributor, you're worthwhile spending time in a, in a coach. And, and I think um, it may be also that you have what we call in our language, a, a best friend at work. And so what I mean by that, if you're an individual contributor and you're a salesperson you're on your territory, whether it's regionally, nationally, or globally, then um, it's to sort of find a best friend in somewhere in the organization. That might be in a different business unit, might be in a different sort of different field, but find somebody who you can, um, you can have a chat with, who you can sort of, get an honest conversation into the wacky ideas that you have, things we're doing differently. So fundamentally, just get a coach. Get a good coach. Get a good coach. Get a coach where, I think it's important, if somebody said to me years ago, well, how do you find a good coach? And of course, you can say, well, they've got qualifications, certifications, this, this, and this, and that's all well and great. But I guess, like I announced, you've got to make sure there's a good coach for an individual where there's a good fit, where there's a chemistry. And I think that's as important as, as, as the, um, the credentials that one may hold. Well, I have no qualifications as a coach, but I've been coaching people pretty much all my career. 
And the experience that I have is you need to tell the kind truth. You need to be willing to confront when they are getting in their own way and you're not there to be their friend. I think one of the worst things you can look for in as a coach is someone who's just nice and makes you feel all warm and fluffy inside. I, I use six different coaches in my work for different things and I find it invaluable. And yeah, you, you're not going to find Tiger Woods or Roger Federer or uh, Messi saying, you know, I'm pretty good. There's no point. Just leave, leave me be. I'll just turn up and um, you know, whack a few balls around. Because if, if you have that mindset, first of all, that tends to mean that you're close-minded. Your ego is fragile and brittle. And you probably have a sense of entitlement, which is going to be pretty much a guarantee that you're going to fail in role over time. So tell me a little bit more about how the research came about and what inspired it. The Gallup research. Yeah. My, well, my understanding is the, um, the fundamentals behind the research came from, from Don Clifton back in the war years, pre, post, through the war years. There's a, the father, the grandfather of strengths, I think they called him as a psychologist. Um, my understanding is he was a US Navy pilot in the war, came out of the war and thought, you know what, we need to start looking at what's good in people. We spent the last few years looking at what's not good in people and, and trying to destroy them. Now we've got to look at what's good in people. And so they built up a series of research, and that was a, this whole endeavor in life, as I understand, to really start to look at what's good in people. And what they then studied was not what makes people good in the workplace, but what makes excellence. So what makes people excellent? So they went to seek out what the best do in each and every field, lawyers, doctors, salespeople, administrators, you know, who is excellent at what they do? And from what I understand, they sort of uh, kind of backtracked and they came up originally with 35 themes of talent, which were the sort of precursors to what makes people excellent. Through ongoing research, that's now 34. And one or two have changed in terms of name, but now they find that every individual um, is, is like 34 key themes of talent. And depending on the intensity with which the individual answers the, the assessment, then you'll have a, a slightly different ranking order. The research says that the retest predictability is 0.74 over two years. So it's pretty robust. And I, I don't think I've ever had anybody in 14 years of sort of actively being involved with this um, to say, no, that's not me. I think everyone recognised, sometimes quite scarily, that it's a real like a predictor. And, and people quip, so wow, have you been, have you got inside my head? And I think it's that accurate. So it's been rigorously tested over the years on positivity, on what people do best. And I think that's the opportunity we have as aspiring professionals in whatever field is, as you said, with the Roger Federer's of the world and the, the Andy Murray's and the, um, and the like, it's how can we make ourselves better each and every day? And this is a really good assessment to be able to do that. Tell me this. You're a manager of a team and it's dysfunctional. You run uh, the StrengthsFinder profile against each one and you find yourself having a team that's been skewed close to in the image of the previous manager. What do you do at that point? Because a lot of people, you know, they, they recruit in their own image only weaker. 
And um, so if you've inherited a team like that, what, what is it that you do next? Well, that's a good question. I think um, that's one of the the, um, the opportunities and the challenges, um, that, that unconscious bias which people tend to recruit people like them. If you're inheriting that team, I guess you've got to look at the talents. Um, but I think more importantly, it's the behaviours that are associated from those talents that exist from them. There's one thing that I understand from, from new, new, the, neuros, the neuropsychological elements of this, neuropsychological research, is that behaviours are the result of talent. They're driven from talent. And I think that's what a lot of people's vulnerabilities and blind spots are. Sometimes that can be cultural. If the culture of the organisation is such that people perceive they have to um, negatively apply talents or just through a lack of awareness, then there's a challenge. So I think as a new team leader, as a manager, then it's about observing the behaviours which go with that. If you inherit a team with a, a strength profile, individually and collectively, then obviously you've got to try and make the most of that. But I think the third, that first thing is about observing the behaviours that are there and then why they're showing up. And, uh, and I think it's about addressing those behaviours. As we said earlier, where do behaviours serve them, serve them and where they don't serve them? How do we create a, a forum? How do we create a culture where actually people are bringing their strengths and the service of each other, um, supporting each other as a team, uh, as opposed to maybe um, being somewhat dysfunctional and competing within the team. So in terms of how you build a, a well-rounded team, what advice do you give someone who's maybe starting out and building a team from scratch? Good question. Building a team from scratch, I guess one thing to, to state at this stage is that, uh, and from Gallup's perspective, the, the Clifton Strengths Assessment is not a, uh, a tool which is used directly for recruiting. So they, they, there's other sort of talent, recruiting for talent is one of the things that they do very, very well. And again, that's through the study, the research, they recruit for talent based on that excellence, the, the wealth of data and the interviews that were carried out all those years ago. Now, their consultants are able to, to, to do that so you can actually recruit for the right fit, the right role. I guess if you don't have that facility and you're inheriting a, a team and you have to recruit, then, of course, there's behaviours are clues to talent and what people say. So you can kind of get a sense of, of what talent you would want in a role. So if you've got a, a team and you think, okay, well, we need, you know, we could do with a bit more influence or we could do with a bit more of that, then there's ways of, of sort of trying to um, search for clues for talent without going through a formal process. But I think the important thing is, is that one of the things I love about Clifton Strengths is not look at what you haven't got. So if you've got an inherited team which may be not as well-rounded as you would like, then you can still bring the talents that the team has got. And let's just suppose we talk about the, the influence side of things. Then we can help individuals to be aware of that and dial up relationship building sort of talents or dial in what the individuals and what the team has to, to influence what they need to do. So I think that's a really important factor, that it's not a, a pure recruitment tool. And if we're looking at um, how do we sort of create a well-rounded team, this is really by looking at the, the constellation. If you imagine um, every person's top five talents as a five-pointed star, it's about getting an insight to those five-pointed stars, those talents, 
and how they operate in a constellation of the team and how those talents can, can serve the team better. And that comes through the sort of coaching individually and collectively of the team so that they can start to um, start to bring those talents and the service each other. Um, and I mean, if there's, you know, the CC seek outside help as well, sometimes within a team, you may need to seek, seek another stakeholder within the business, maybe somebody more senior who can bring that extra talent in. So that, that would be my suggestion. Okay. And what about every business is a system and there are multiple moving parts. Mm. And often what I see in virtually every organization is over time, unless there is very clear there's great clarity around why you are in business, the mission, the purpose, then often businesses descend into silos. How can one use strengths tool in order to create alignment within people from different teams in order to help achieve the mission of the business? If you, For example, if you're doing a turnaround or you're suddenly going to hit curve the hockey stick and scale up, no, I think it's a good point. I think really the, the, sort of a lot of work that we do is just with that. So fundamentally, I think you, know, you see um, very often the different factions of business, whether it's sales, marketing, uh, and in the sectors I sort of tend to focus in, we'll have a, a marketing, a sales, and a medical. And I guess there's always been that sort of challenge of how do we create alignment between those, those three franchises effectively. And so what we, what we do, the way we go about helping those align and, and bringing them out of the silos is we give them the tools, we give them real context and frameworks of strengths-based conversation. We help them create a virtual to actualize a strengths-based conversation. So I mean, you, you, they create a virtual? Well, we call it the coffee sink. So it's a coffee sink. So fundamentally, we work within teams. Um, so individually, we, we work with teams within sales, marketing, and medical. And then what we do together, so they go through the same sort of process uh, within the psychological safety of their own teams and team leaders. And then once, we, once they've gone through those, or well, through as we go through those, we're encouraged in them to have that, that the same conversations about what the, what the individual brings, what they need to each work stream. And very often what you find is, um, is those silos is to get a greater understanding. We, we help them by saying, look, Hey, Marcus, we're working together on a project right now. You're in medical, I'm in sales, or you're in marketing, I'm in sales. Look, this is what I'm bringing to this work group. This is what I'm bringing to this project team. And this is what I need from you to deliver. And we do that from their own talents. And reciprocally, you would say, hey, okay, fine. Well, this is what I'm bringing to the team. And so what we tend to do then is build that trust within the, within the, the teams, within the teams. So the sub-teams start to build trust. And I think that's one of the, one of the key findings I've found in, in the years is you'll have a, maybe the sales team trust each other, that they're all doing what they do best and they're all committed to quality, but they may find that their partner team in the organization who's committed on delivering for a brand, or a product or a service, that actually they're not committed. And there's mistrust and there's communications poor people retreat into silos. So I think this, this strength through the programs we offer gives people an aligned language and it gives them this sort of 
a real context to a framework conversation they can have, which is psychologically safe and it's free of all um, negativity and it's free of all judgment. It's purely based on each of us bringing need to each other to deliver on what the company expects us to do. Okay. So a lot of the work that I do with my clients is on midwifing complex deals where you have a lot of moving parts, different people with different functions. So you've got the sales team, you've got the technical team, you've got the professional services team, you've got management, legal finance and marketing. And then it's further complicated by having one or multiple partners, all of whom come, you know, they're in business for their own reasons and they've got an agenda of their own. And then you have the client. So if you are somebody who has to manage that level of complexity and you've got to be able to create movement within all these different organizations and you're you're looking to either promote someone into that role or uh, you're looking to recruit, and I know you say that it's not a recruitment tool, but if you were advising somebody in that kind of arena, because a lot of my listeners will be doing that, what are the strengths that people should really have or that will really be of most value? What are the strengths that people most value? I, I mean, do you know, I mean, you could... Um... Think of them as a conductor. Yeah, but think if you think of the conductor of the orchestra, I mean, the arranger is the, uh, the arranger. Is, uh, it's an executing talent. It's, it's very much the orchestrator. If you think of a metaphor, that is the orchestrator. How do I arrange the moving parts? And they're very good at doing that. I think if we look again, if we look at from a, from a people perspective, individualization talent. Individualization talent is really one that gets a sense of where people fit. So I guess um, as a conductor with high individualization, you get a sense of where people fit in the orchestra, in the right seat, to play the right tune to deliver on the project. So individualization is a really key talent. Includer. Includer is a talent which is often overlooked. The includer talent, again, it's a relationship building talent, but it's one that naturally spots what's being left out. And it's, it's very much it's, it's somebody who has generally no judgment of others, and it welcomes others in, and it's a, key, it's, a, it's a really key talent to bring in somebody who may be overlooked. And somebody can bring in some real vital you know, piece of evidence, piece of work. So that's another great talent to have. And of course, strategic. And the strategic say, yeah, Again, it's about finding the right route to Rome. So the conductor of the orchestra who can individualize the approach and get a sense of getting the right seats on the right chairs you know, with the, the quickest route to Rome. These are all talents which can be really leveraged intentionally to help the business um, achieve what it needs to achieve. That's very interesting. Because uh, I, I don't think I've ever... Uh, I've been using... Strengths finder, like I said, for 10 plus years. And I don't think I've ever come across an includer. It's quite rare. I don't, I don't know what the percentage is actually in terms of where it fits, but um, you tend to find, um, and I've seen this again, I'm not sure exactly, I can find the data for you. Relate is quite high. We tend to like to work with people and that's very high. Includers are real unique talent. The other one I didn't mention is connectedness. Connectedness, again, it's a very relationship-building talent. Again, that's quite low in terms of where it features in the, the global index. But again, connectedness, that's around, um, gets a sense of why things are the way they are, that things happen for a reason. Again, depending on it can be used strategically. 
So things are, if we look at the recent situation, it can be very calming in terms of, you know, this is happening for a reason. We're not quite sure what it could be, but it can find a route forward and it can be a, quite a really good um, um, calming sort of um, talent for teams that are, you know, struggling with change, teams that are struggling with, um, with multiple functions. And I'll give them the confidence that, you know, we're on the right track. This is, this is here for a reason. It will pass. And um, we've, we've just got to keep focused on what we're doing. So another talent which is overlooked, which can, uh, you know, can add a lot of value. I often find where people have high woo, wooing, I mean, just define what wooing is for the audience because it's probably better coming from you than me. Woo is it's, it's very low in my profile, as you can probably guess. But it's, uh, it's, it's, about, it's just purely the fact that the ability to win people over there's never too many friends. They love just engaging with people. And, um, you know, I suppose if you're to meet somebody in the, in the high street, somebody in the, uh, you go along to a, uh, an event, you know, these are, these are your potential, your best friends that sort of introduce themselves to you. Social butterflies, you know, if you look at them at a, uh, a party, they'll be the ones that are sort of making great connections and, and sort of um, full of the joys of spring. And, and very often you see high woo. Is supported by high communication. High woo, high communication kind of go hand in hand dynamically. And of course, they, uh, they do. They're bright, they're brief, and then they can be gone. So, so when I see high woo or high relator in a sales profile, often my concern is that they want to be a professional visitor and a professional friend. And it, it's really important to find that balance between creating and good, deep and wide relationships, but not to forget that you're there to do a job. Mm. And sometimes, like Keith was saying at the beginning, yeah, too much of a good thing can be a bad thing. So whilst it's good for them to be able to engage with people, if they then lose their focus on why they are there, why they've been hired, it can easily derail. And so, again, it's important to make sure that when you're building your team, that there is a good balance overall. Because particularly if you're uh, working in a complex sales team, sometimes it makes more sense to have one person rather than another deal with people in the organization. So when you combine StrengthsFinder with DISC, it allows you to look at personality types. It allows you to look at where their natural communication styles are and where their strengths are complementary. And the net result of that is that you can have much clearer communication because they speak the same language. You know, if someone is deeply analytical and someone else is deeply strategic, you'll get some crossover. But if someone is getting stuck into the, uh, the weeds and the other person seeing the big picture, you need to find a way of translating between the two. Because if you don't, then often there will be a mismatch of communication. And I, I think one of the things that StrengthsFinders taught me is the importance of communicating in a way that the other person really understands and the absolute importance of clarity. And in teams in particular, if a manager is somebody who has sort of a big picture 
they are loose on the detail and they've got a bunch of people who need that clarity. They need the, uh, to be told what the outcome is or the how, uh, and that's not being conveyed. Then there's a mismatch of expectations. And unfortunately, that falls on the manager's shoulders because the meaning of communication is the one that's received, not the one that was intended. So when you're coaching managers, how do you make sure that they uh, are self-aware enough to recognize when they may be the issue? Yeah, uh, it's, um, I, I agree with what you've said there. That, that's a sort of salesperson, professional friend is a real alarm bell. I think that's a really good insight, uh, and we see that. And so I think one thing that that does, just to speak on that, is as a salesperson, again, appropriately applied, it can be great to, to win new customers over. And I think where we're later is you know, it tends not to be. It tends to be quite low. If you've got high woo related, it can be quite low. But I think where they're together, and you see this, related gives an element of trust, which is really important, as we know. Um, so the ability to go in and meet a new customer, meet a new client, but to give that sense, and that's what relators are. Relators, hey, I want to get to know you. I want you to get to know me. So now I'm to trust there, which is great. That gives the opportunity to, to sell, to influence. Regarding your latter question around managers, I think certainly um, coaching managers is um, around their awareness of their talent is something we, we try to look at certainly through the lens of Q12. We, we do um, the Gallup Q12, the engagement survey. For those of you who aren't familiar, Gallup has produced 12 questions that look at how well managers uh, engage, and they are incredibly useful. Um, So if you haven't looked at, uh, found them or heard of them before, look at Q12 or Gallup's 12 questions on your Google search. Thank you, Marcus. And I think what it gives a sense of um, what the team, gives a sense of what the team think and the organization now, it's an organizational thing, but of course, the manager is responsible for engagement. And I think based on that sense there, what you might find, depending on the question one, you know, am I clear what's expected in at work? So the, the example you mentioned, the leader will get a real insight as to just how clear communication is or not. Uh, and with globally less than one in two saying that uh, they're clear what's expected, then obviously there's a challenge there with the, what the manager is communicating or not. So that's a real opportunity to say, okay, well, fine. Where's the misalignment here? Because you might think, you know, you've told them what to do, what's expected. They're telling you that they're not. So how do we do that? And then what we we look at, coaching specifically, we've got a specific high-performance leader program. I think the the world, the manager, the leader, the the new world workplace wants managers and leaders to be coaches. Uh, It's a massive drive driven by research that, and the newer generations are shaping us, older generations, uh, in terms of what's, what they expect from work. So I think what, what we do then is we start to say, well, what talents does the manager, what does the leader have? And again, in the absence of a talent-based interview, which most managers should go through, in my opinion, Gallup do that very, very well. Because statistically, they find that seven out of 10 people in a management role shouldn't be a manager. Uh, they don't have the talent to be a people manager. Just to pick up on that, We did a research study at the beginning of the year, and what our research from a 1,000 companies identified was that only 6% of sales managers were fit for purpose. Wow. Terrifying. 
It is terrifying. Yeah. The Gallup found 10%. One in 10 had the talent to be a manager. Two, the additional two out of 10 could be managers if they were supported. But seven, 70%. You know, so, wow, it's impactful. So I guess it's in how do you coach them, how do managers bring their talents to lead? So coaching. I guess we, we use a lot of the Gallup research in terms of, you know, what what's, and this term can be quite controversial, but what followers want from managers are, are four, four key elements. And this is done by the research from Gallup, which was over 10,000 interviews some years ago. Um, for listeners, it's, it's, it's really um, described best in the strengths-based leadership book, and um, it's a worthwhile read. But what that found was that um, it gives clues into how you can, how a manager can lead with talent and build hope, how they can build trust, how they can create some um, stability in the organisation, but also how they can show some compassion. And so, what our coaching is about is with those four elements of um, four elements of, of leadership that, that, that followers say they want is what talents can the manager leader use really deliberately into to start to give their followers you know, that element of stability, and particularly during recent months, that there's hope for a better future. How do they build trust? And of course, how, how can they show compassion for those that they lead? So our coaching with managers is very much about helping them lead with their talents uh, to meet those four elements. Interesting. Tell me, what, what do you struggle with? What are you wrestling with at the moment? Trying to, well, my wrestling is, you know, I, I love what I do. I found this Clifton Strengths Gallup 14 years ago, having done many, many things. And I, and I sort of, I sat here six, six, seven years ago in, in my um, lounge. There was snow on the ground then. You might not have realised that with the beach here, but certainly snow on the ground then. <laughs> and uh, I just thought I've got to make this my mission to um, to sort of get get strengths out there. And, and really, I want people to find their talent, find what they love to do best. And then as you iterated earlier, spending 99% doing meaningful work, which is engaging, which time where time flies. My mission is to get as many people, I want people to, I think it's their, their, their right as a human being to know why they do what they do, to know what they do best and to have opportunities in life so they can go and do whatever they want to do. And it doesn't matter as long as people have that awareness. So my, my, what I'm wrestling with is, how do I uh, how do I get to more people? How do I how do I give more people this opportunity to find this their talent? And um, that's my mission that gets me up in the morning and, uh, and keeps me awake at night. So, a couple of things. The first thing is, I think it was Gallup that released some research uh, last year that suggests that only seven percent of the U.S. workforce is highly engaged in their work. Now, when you consider the difference between companies who have people who are highly engaged versus just engaged or not engaged at all, which is a depressingly high number, I think it was something like 57% uh, when uh, dis- actively disengaged in their work. Companies that are, have highly engaged employees generate 390% higher profit per employee. Sorry, 430% higher profit per employee. 290% uh, higher revenue per employee. Uh, they have a 40% lower turnover rate. 
and a 20% higher productivity rate. And their share price, on average, grows three times as fast as uh, other equivalent companies. So this stuff isn't soft. This is hard metrics that should get CFOs pricking up their ears and um, investing in it. So in terms of trying to get your message out, how effective are you at creating a personal brand around being the subject matter expert and in terms of providing valuable content on made available to people on uh, through social media? It's a good question. I'm not sure I'm the right person to answer that. <laughs> but I think for sure it's more effective. I set my goals there each and every year. Yeah, I, I guess the one element of the development for me is um, is, is to make more of social media, to make more of digital channels. All our programs are, uh, are digital. The live sessions that we did um, are now digital um, following the, the COVID-19 outbreak. But do, do, do your target audience know that you, Keith Webster, exist? I think there's a, a, uh, an increasing element that does. I think um, if I were to go on LinkedIn, and I've not done it just for a couple of weeks with being away, and if I was to sort of type in the box and talk about pharmaceutical talent, then I, I and the company would come, if not top, then fairly top. So I think uh, anybody who's looking for a, uh, a subject matter expert in strengths in the pharma industry would find me pretty quickly. Okay, but that, that's, that's what you would search for. What do people in pharma look for when they don't know that StrengthsFinder and you know, this exists? That's a good question. Maybe you can help me on that one. Again, I, I, I'm no expert, but what, what I've realized is that when we use the language that we would search for, often we miss our mark. I would recommend a book by David Jennings, J-E-N-Y-N-S, called Authority Content. Authority Content. Yeah, and I would also uh, recommend a book by Sam Rathling called Linked Inbound. I know Sam Rathling. And I would also look at a book called Marketing Rebellion by Mark Schaefer. Because I, I think the, the key issue here is that your customers and your prospects go through a journey that begins long before they start looking for Keith Webster, long before they even know that you exist, and uh, long before that they know that StrengthSub exists. So if you can identify what that journey looks like, where they begin to recognize that they have the symptoms that require your help, then you can target your messaging to catch them at that point. If I didn't know about StrengthsFinder, I probably would never have contemplated looking for anything about strengths because all my conditioning is to look for ways to improve uh, performance around weaknesses. And I, I would suggest that you look at who your ideal customers are already and you find out what it is that attracted them to you in the first place. So have them tell their story where they're the hero and how they were able to overcome challenges and solve problems uh, by applying strengths in both developing their people and in leadership, and then create content to speak to that 
because people just like them will probably be going through the same experience and journey. And the problems will manifest with the same sort of symptoms. Does that make sense? It makes complete sense, yeah. Yeah. If I push stuff, keywords that I think are going to be relevant, chances are I'm just going to be one of many. And it's going to be expensive if I'm going to do um, pay-per-click advertising, which I wouldn't recommend anyone to do anyway, uh, because most of that's wasted. But content, particularly useful subject matter content, user-generated content, and customer-generated content. Those are the things that uh, really draw people's attention and people see value in. So I, I, I would start there and start with speaking to your customers and find out why they originally came to you, why they stick with you, what the payoff is, what problems originally caused them to seek out help. and chances are you'll see problems manifest in different parts of the organization as disparate uh, symptoms. Knowing what you know about organizations and teams and leadership, that will allow you to start joining the dots, which they won't be able to on their own because their nose is to the grindstone. They're stuck trying to hit their personal targets and objectives. And the word that matters the most is yet. Okay, Keith, I, I don't know whether or not this is relevant to you, uh, a lot of the organizations that we're talking to in pharma, the C-suite is concerned because they're experiencing problem A, problem B, problem C. I don't suppose you're seeing these happen in your organization yet, are you? Yeah. Yeah? Because the, the yet leaves room for doubt. Even if they're not seeing it, it may happen. And that then allows you to engage with them in a conversation where they may refer you on to other people in the organization because you're typically dealing with larger companies, aren't you? Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. Global global corporates, yeah. Right. There may be, um, you know, in a global corporate, there are going to be typically a minimum of six to seven influencers who are involved in influencing the deal. That doesn't necessarily just uh, also include the purchasing committee. There will be technical buyers, user buyers, financial buyers, recommenders, specifiers. You need to be able to map these people out before you go and speak again to the C-suite. And you should have done your research in those areas where you're seeing those symptoms occur. And if you do that, then when you speak to them, you might open with, Keith, I, I recently saw your statement in the annual report and accounts, or I listened to your latest analyst call and I heard you say this. I don't suppose if there is a solution to that, you'd be open to giving me 15 minutes uh, to uh, see whether or not my um, uh, the research that I've conducted is relevant in your world. Yeah, I can. Uh, I like the language. Okay. And um, uh, well, uh, again, gratuitous advice is generally worth what you pay for it. So uh, <laughs> uh, tell me this. You, you've got a golden ticket, and you could go back and advise the idiot Keith, age 23. <laughs> it doesn't have to be about regrets, but what, what choice bit of advice would you give him? What would I give him? Oh, you know, I think, um, I think trust yourself, believe in yourself. Yeah, fundamentally, back yourself. And I think one thing is... Um, as I figured, and I think a lot of people I speak to is 
think I'd say, yeah, I'd, I'd say take the, take the Clinton strengths assessment. You know, find out why you do what you do. And it's better to find out why you do what you do, why your behaviours are driven from, from a, a scientific insight than just sort of kind of saying, well, that's just the way I am. And you sort of stumble along through life. So I'd find out what talent you have and get some science behind why you do what you do and, uh, and, and believe in yourself. Excellent. Okay. And tell me, what are you, or what have you been or are you being influenced by in terms of what you're reading, watching, listening to? Well, I think today's been a good influence. What influence? I mean, I, I follow um, Tom Mallins quite a lot. I met yep. Tom as well, introduction. I love Tom. I think he's a great guy. I love the content he puts on. So he's a, a big influence on me and the way I go about my business. I think historically, then obviously my military mentors and uh, people in the background who sort of um, helped shape who I am. And I, and I think also you know, people like Tony Robbins, Bob Proctor, Brian Tracy was a guy from, from many years ago. These are sort of influences who've sort of helped me to where I am now. Uh, and what am I reading now? I'm reading books on leadership, on change in business, and reading books on, um, on, on sport in terms of um, you know, the performance of teams. Dave Brailsford, Sir Clive Woodward, other, other people in that sort of fraternity who, um, who are quite strength-based as well. I mean, I think these are the sort of people who influence. Anybody who's looking at performance and doing something better, then that's, that's food and drink for me. I think you'll enjoy a couple of books. One is uh, The Right Use of Power by Peter Block. Really fascinating read. And Principles by Ray Dalio. And Keith Cunningham's The Road Less Stupid. The Road Less Stupid. Yeah. Sounds like a book for uh, the stupid 23-year-old Keith. Uh, it could well have been, yeah. <laughs> I wish I'd read it then. It's it's another one of the books I wish I'd written. And uh, I think uh, another one that is a must-read is Just Listen by Mark Galston. Absolutely fabulous, um, foundational. Because I think listening is an um, underused and certainly definitely under-trained skill. And yeah. I've talked my way out of many a sale. I've never listened my way out of one. Cool. Okay, Keith, how can people get hold of you? They can get through hold of me through uh, LinkedIn. They can get hold of through through my uh, emails, Keith at eTogrow.com, Keith at strengthsub.co.uk. They can get hold of me on my cell phone, plus four four seven four eight four seven one five zero five two. Excellent. Keith Webster, thank you. Thank you, Marcus. This is Marcus Kauke signing off once again from the Inquisitor podcast. If you found this interview insightful and interesting then please like comment share and subscribe and if you'd like to get in touch then email me at marcuscowkey at me.com or marcus at laughs-last.com that's l-a-u-g-h-s hyphen l-a-s-t.com in the meantime stay safe and happy selling bye-bye